A podcast of the cinema. Good yes. afternoon to you. I was going to introduce this. Oh, yeah, that's true. You should do that. Yes. My name's Dave White. Yes. Your name is Alonzo Duralde. Yes. We are both film critics. Yes. You write for The Rap. Yes. Maybe I still write for The Rap. Who, Who can, can say? <laughs> I guess we'll find out as the future futurizes itself. In the meantime, <laughs> we're here. That was very cryptic. Yes. Your job has changed. Shall we just discuss? Uh, we sure. Yes, you'll I mean, be seeing. It's happening. It's happened already. You'll, you'll be you'll be seeing more of me at the rap. I you'll will be, be seeing more of Alonzo Duralde's name shining brightly from the rap, as he is has always been the lead film critic. But for a while, he was uh, reviewing fewer films as under the you know because of his job as film reviews editor. A new film editor has been hired, and all the jobs got folded into one thing. You're not going to edit anyone anymore. Correct. You are simply now president of all film critics <laughs> for the rap. Yes. It's a dot com. Uh, the I, future of reviews of the sort that I write of, admittedly, more obscure films, my favorite kind. Uh, we don't know where that's going. Again, does anyone have a say. job for me? Would anyone like uh, uh, for me to write about the new Albert Serra film, Pacifiction? Dave White, I, I was movies, all ready to go. <laughs> as long as they will not open on more than five screens, five screens at any globally, time, <laughs> ever. <laughs> In perpetuity one, throughout one, the universe. One night at a museum in Paris. That's that's my beat as a journalist. You can also hear me on some other podcasts. <laughs> no, serious. Does anybody have a job for me? Because I would love I would love a would love a job. <laughs> we have some films. Yes. To talk about this week. Um and we have to really sort of like we have to really keep it uh, tight today. Yes. Not too many digressions. I mean, there will be some. Of course. I mean, I'm staring right at my my beauty, my precious right now. The entire case of paper towels that just oh, showed up. Oh, yes, yes. I've been inordinately excited about them. And well, you should be. All day. They just arrived and... Do you know, what, do you know what's better than having... A case of 24 rolls of paper towels show up on your door. What is it? Not many things. <laughs> Few things are better than that. It's like having a full tank of gas or a fresh haircut. It's yes. Just like you don't have to deal with yes. it for a while. I can, I can clean anything in any room with a fresh roll of paper towels for any room in the apartment. If I choose. Go wild, man. To give every room its own roll of paper towels. Whoa. What if I did that? Dream big. I, 
Listen, live large, treat yourself. I have a weird hobby. And the weird hobby Tidiness. is not merely writing reviews of three-hour films by Albert Serra. <laughs> Uh, but the other, I, I love to make things nice and clean. It's hard to do uh, because I'm very busy. Well, not so busy anymore, but like... <laughs> you I'm, have plenty of things to I'm do. very busy with other stuff, uh, these podcasts, I know that. And also, it's it's very difficult because you, my beloved spouse yes. of 27 plus years now... Mm-hmm. You are a mess. You make a mess. You make a mess and you don't realize you've made a mess. I see. You walk away from the mess and I go, hey, what about that mess? And you go, what? And I said exactly like that, too. I, I was doing an accurate impersonation. Uh-huh. You make a mess. You walk away from the mess. I say, hey, look at that mess. You go, what mess? I go, the one you just, it's right there. On the counter that I just cleaned, you did it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't see it. Well, uh, and it's not like you're a bad person. Thank you. You just have uh, vision trouble with your crumb seeing abilities. Well, you have this notion that once you clean something... It should stay that way for more than 15 minutes. Yeah, that's... I never silly. I understand the ridiculousness of this. Unless company is coming, <laughs> I'm company. <laughs> I'm a guest in my own home <laughs> at all the time, and I must be treated beautifully. <laughs> you are your own mother-in-law, like yeah. checking your oh, own yeah. place for dust oh, and yeah. judging yourself. Oh yeah. I, I sometimes think about, like, what if one day we had money for someone to come in and clean the house? To clean the apartment. Could you let that go? And I don't know that I could even let it happen. Because I would be following that person around. Going like, okay, do okay that, do this. No, not. Ah, stop. Yeah, I, I think I would be too... Um, I would have to send you on vacation every time. The I, would have to, I would be way too micromanaging, I think. It would be a problem. I would have to really force myself to sit down and shut up, or I'd have to leave. Yeah, no, you couldn't be here while it happened. That would never work. Um. So anyway, well, in the meantime, I have 24 rolls of paper towels. That's right. So excited. Um, what do they say about digressions? We don't have time for them. We don't so have time we for them. We don't have time for them. We do not. We have six films to discuss. We have 55 minutes left to discuss them. We need to be finished here in time for you to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. And the Quantum of Solace? The what? Quantumania. Quantumania. Not quantum, but an amazing simulation. I keep I keep thinking of it as that's a joke for everybody over the age of 50. Yeah. I keep thinking of it as like Quadrophenia. Close. That's not what it is. Quantum mania. You're going to be my poison tester on this one. Aren't I always? I like to send you, well, you know, I like to send you to a Marvel or a DC movie first. Number one, because they are so very long most Mm -hmm. of the time. And that's a problem for me. 
The other thing is that they're not always... uh... I've long since given up on the idea of keeping track of Marvel uh, uh, output into the world because there are now... TV shows. TV shows and, you know, an endless string of films. And so... You, you've still got to watch Wakanda Forever. So well, one, we just got the Blu-ray, so yes. I now have the ability to watch Wakanda Forever. You can have Forever. snacking and stretch breaks. The theater, and, and for people who don't have the Blu-ray, it's on Disney+. Plus. The now. theater situation was not helping my, my body in theater seats yes. for a very yes, long yes. movie. Not happening. Um, case in point, you went to see Jean Dielman yesterday. I with did. Christy for Breakfast All Day. Y'all are going to actually review, review it, it yeah. on Breakfast All Day, mm-hmm. which is lovely. Thank you. You went to the Arrow yesterday for a sold-out show yep. of Jean Dillman. And Lewis was there, mm-hmm. and who else was there that you... Uh, I I didn't really see a lot of people I knew. I met a very nice uh, Breakfast All Day Patreon member named oh, Paul, nice. who came up and introduced himself. Yeah. Uh, and our friend Ryan, who is, of course, the manager of the Arrow, who we right. always see when we go to a show there. Yes. He was one of the hosts of Screen Drafts. Yes. Uh, that was... Was that it? That was kind of it. That was it? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway... You were there, sold out show. Yeah, I stayed home and <laughs> and performed my hobby. I, I cleaned, you cosplayed Jean Dielman. I cleaned the house, uh, and I got to listen to really, really uh, abrasive and shapeless noise. That's nice without headphones. Great. Um, and uh, I posted about it on Instagram. <laughs> and who was it? Was it uh, was it Benjamin? It was like, some of those choices are better than others. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to let you know. <laughs> I think I think that's what he said. Uh, and that, I, I need the ranking, honestly. What ah. I need is people who saw the post, I need, if you know what the music is, you need to rank it for me so that I can know what you think about what I like. Hmm. It's only fair. We knife people's lists all That's the time. True. We're doing sure. one today. There you go. And and uh, I think you know, uh, yeah, knife knife, knife my music. You, knife him go back. Go to Instagram and knife my musical choices. D. I, Leland I, this White. This is a great idea. Okay. I'm I'm into this idea. Great. Uh, but you have to know what you're talking about. You can't just go. I've never heard of that. <laughs> like you can't do that. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> it's true. You you have the job that my youngest brother had in 1980. Uh, three or four, mm-hmm. when he walked into our family's home and I was listening to uh, New Order's uh, Low Life uh, cassette. Mm. He said, what's this? He says, New Order. He goes, never heard of them. I go, well, they're kind of popular. He goes, where? I said, mostly in England, but also sometimes here in the United States with some people. He's like, I've never heard of them. They can't be any good. That's a quote. Of course. And we, I've kept, I've held that quote over his head, actually, uh, for the past almost 40 years. And yet he still lives by it. And it was, <laughs> and he, yes, he does. <laughs> Unrepentantly, he would not care. He would listen to this conversation and go, yeah, and I was right. Who's ever heard of this band? Of course, yes. <laughs> no one who matters. 
Let's talk about the movies. Let's. Let's talk about the movies. That's our job. Uh, Such as it is. Why don't you talk about the one you saw that I am not going to go see, oh, and I was right not to God. go see it? Yeah. Well, look, I didn't want to go see it. I, mm. It was my duty. Yeah. 80 for Brady. 84 Brady. 84 Brady. Uh, which apparently directed by a guy who's involved in an indie movie from the last couple of years called The Climb that I've heard very good things about. Oh, okay. Written by uh, the two or two of the screenwriters of Booksmart. And starring... Did they write it and then have it completely taken out of their hands? Well, I don't know. Okay. And then... Based on what you... You haven't talked to me much about this film since arriving home from Ladies' Night. Yes. When you went to see it. Uh, But it seems to me like this is the kind of movie that these uh, talented screenwriters put together and then had uh, hacked to pieces. Uh, It is entirely likely because this is very much an NFL product. Uh, yeah, but it stars, you know, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, Sally Field. And you think, well, I'd watch those four do anything. Well, I have made Not those kinds of mistakes so before in my life. fast. Yeah. Because, yes, I I worship at the altar of all of those uh, uh, screen legends. But, boy, howdy, what a reminder that you, no matter how great you are, you really need a script or else you're just not going anywhere. Uh, This is loosely, loosely, loosely based on four octogenarian best friends who were big Tom Brady fans Uh and went to the Super Bowl in 2017 when it was the Patriots versus the Falcons. Uh, You probably joined me in not knowing that this game was a big deal. Oh, it was. It, it was. It was a big deal. It was like the score was something like twenty-eight to three, and then the. So this is a, a docudrama, ish. A docu comedy. Eh, not really. It's a historic. It's based on a historical event. Again, there are there are these four ladies who are friends, and they went to All the right. Super Bowl, and that's about where it ends. All right. But the game really happened the way the, the game, game really happened. happened the way that that's it is. What I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. That part, yes. Um, I mean, Kate Winslet and Leo were not actually on the Titanic, but, but it the still boat sunk. did sink. Yes. Okay. okay yeah. Fair enough. All right. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so the 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 our our four stars play a, a quartet of, of buddies who adore Tom Brady. Um, it becomes part of Lily Tomlin's uh, uh, healing process from after a cancer treatment. Um, Jane Fonda is a sort of, you know, like former, you know, she was a model on TV as a kid, and now she writes fan fiction about Gronk and is, um, you know, wears a lot of wigs, which the movie acknowledges are wigs. So if you look at them and think, oh, that's a wig, the movie is ahead of you on that one. All right. Um, Rita Moreno is a widow who really misses her husband so much that she still lives in the nursing home where she put him and not in her own house because Mm. she doesn't want to go home alone. All right. And uh, Sally Field plays a uh, math professor married to another math professor played by Bob Balaban, who is a genius of the, hey, you're not wearing pants variety. Okay. Um, anyway, so so the year that uh, that the, the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, Willie Tomlin's like, we got to go. And she enters this contest and they win tickets and they get to Houston and, you know, wackiness ensues involving like Guy Fieri and... A big swanky party uh, and, you know, weed gummies and right. stuff. And it's, 
I, it's I, I I spent a lot of it cringing, and I spent a lot of it really bored. Cringing and over what? How over how not funny it was? How right. not funny it was? How these actresses could not turn dross into gold, basically. Right. right. Um, every so often, you get a glimmer of like a character moment, usually from Sally Field. Like she's actually kind of doing the best with what she's been given here, which for all of them is not much. Okay. Uh, and no one is bad in this. No one embarrasses themselves or isn't trying, but it's just so listless. And it's such an obvious, like, NFL kind of propaganda movie. Right. You know, it feels like, <clears throat> uh, like something you would watch in a long line to get into the stadium that they would show you online to entertain you. Like, it's that <laughs> level got a big of, screen right Yeah, there. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the video you watch before you get onto the ride, you know. Uh, but it's not a movie, and it's not interesting, and it's not fun. Cool. <laughs> In a nutshell. Now, there is a new Lily Tomlin Jane Fonda movie coming out, like, very soon. Yes, which like, I'm very excited they are, about. They are going to be... Called Moving like, On, I like, think. They're going to be the Walter Matthau and George Burns of... Oh, yeah. Wait, who, is that who that was? No, 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 no. It was uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. I'm thinking of Sunshine Boys. Right. They did work together once. But, oh, I thought it was... But Lemmon and Matthau right. did The Odd Couple, and right. then they were the Grumpy Old Men. I'm and screwing then they were... up my own. Okay, yes. The Grumpy <clears throat> Old Men. Yes. They're going to be the Grumpy Old Men. They're going to be the... Yeah. All right. Um, Are you sure Matthau wasn't in the Grumpy Old Men movies, too? That's what I was saying. Oh. Lemon and Mathau were the grumpy old men. All right. I'm forgive me. I'm my <laughs> brain is absolutely scrambled. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> yes, that movie I'm really much looking forward to because it is directed by whichever whites made Grandma, which I'm a huge fan oh, of. Oh, that's right. So I would right. I'm I'm looking forward to his reunion with Lily Tomlin. I've have watched all of Will, uh, uh, not Will and Grace, Grace and Frankie. Um, which I also really enjoyed. So yeah, I like the two of them very much, but man, this movie really will test your affinity for these uh, actresses because it just it doesn't give them anything to do. Well, let's move on to White Noise. Yes. Which we we're finally talking about because I finally got a chance to sit down and watch it. It's the new one from Noah Baumbach. Mm -hmm. It is based on the Don DeLillo novel, White yes. Noise. It was published in the 80s. And it stars uh, uh, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, Don Cheadle. It is an absurdist comedy. Yes. About the chaos of life. Mm -hmm. All right. So Adam Driver plays a professor. Uh, he is a professor of Hitler studies. Yes. Uh, Which seemed like a bolder joke when the book came out. Nowadays, that, that seems plausible. Somehow. Right. Yeah. Uh, at, a, at a college, um, he does not speak German. He's secretly taking lessons to prepare for a speech that he has to give at a conference. He's married to Greta Gerwig. Uh, they've got four kids. From various uh, marriages. From various marriages, and one of them uh, is theirs. Uh, Co-made. Yes. And he discovers that she has a secret prescription for something that they can't figure out what it is. They can't find any information about it. They're um, not even sure what it does. They're not even sure what it does. 
So this is rolling along. They do a lot of grocery shopping. <laughs> yes. As well. In a beautiful, beautiful 80s grocery store. An A&P that has been recreated. Yeah. Uh, they, they took a... Uh, I, read, I read an article about this. They took a Home Depot... Wow, a, 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 an abandoned, a, a closed Home Depot, mm-hmm. and they turned it into a giant fake supermarket. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, Noah Baumbach would just like walk through it and be like, "Oh my god!" Oh, I would. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the movie. <laughs> uh, so then, here comes a thing: a uh, a, cat- a catastrophic event, a train crash, a train accident releases a cloud of chemical waste over their uh, region. Everyone refers to it as the airborne toxic event. Yes. Apparently there is a band called that. There is. This, uh, this, 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 this phrase in the book has become part of pop culture, not just from the band, but, you know, people use it mm-hmm. from time to time. It's a very popular book. And the next chunk of the film has to deal with their reaction to it, their escape from it, their... Did you just drop your phone on the floor? I did. Cool. And the aftermath of it and what it has done to their family, uh, what it has done to the level of trust between Driver and Gerwig. Right. And why. And I won't, like, go into all the answers to that. What did you think about this film? I have, I think I might like it more than you. I think you might. Yeah. I read the book when it came out and I read about half of it when I thought I was going to the Venice Film Festival. Right. Where this movie premiered. And you got that COVID. You got got your own airborne toxic Exactly. (laughs) I put it down and did not pick it up back up again, but it it all came back to me as I was watching the movie. Mm -hmm. And... I am a huge fan of Noah Baumbach's recent output. Yeah, I, li- I, 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 I like his films. Like, everything from, like, Greenberg on, I'm a huge, huge fan of. Meyerowitz stories, um, you know, Marriage Story. All the stories. All the stories. While we're young, you know, I, I think he's really been on a roll. Even his script for Madagascar 3. I I'm a Margot at the Wedding guy. Also good? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so I, 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 one of the few films I've ever walked out of was his debut feature, uh, Walking and, not Walking and Talking, Kicking and Screaming. Kicking and Screaming. Walking so and Talking was the first was from Nicole, Nicole Hall Center. Center. Yes. And, and that was you and I were, I believe, together at Kicking and Screaming, or were we not? No. Oh, you know what? I saw that with Jennifer. <laughs> no, I saw it with uh, Anna. I saw Alexander. that with Jennifer, and we both were like, F this movie. Yeah. We, we also did not enjoy it. Although... I would like to go back. I, I'm curious about it now. Yeah, and see it again now that I'm, you know, 30 years older. Sure, and you know. and now that we have a better idea of what it is that Baumbach is about and uh-huh. does. Anyway, so and how annoying people in their 20s are. Maybe we were just seeing a mirror. Yes, yeah, true. It was, it, was, it was too close. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, I I I like Baumbach's films a lot, and so I preface with that. Yeah. Because I think this movie doesn't work. Uh, it works in fits and starts, but I think that it is so beholden to the novel, and the novel is so kind of funny and weird in a way that is 
specific to things you can do on the page. Yeah. That rather than take the the grain of an idea of Delillo's and turn it into something cinematic, I think he feels like, well, we have to include this part and we have to do this thing. And so, like, there are moments from the book that really shine here. The parade of the station wagons early on. Uh-huh. The um the 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 um interrogation at the um at the at the emergency center where they're running a simulation but it's actually happening but it's a simulation <laughs> it's because a, yeah. you know uh like every there are moments that really work all the grocery store stuff i was swooning because i'm such a fan of old grocery stores old, old products That's old packaging like yeah old exactly yeah. the fact that they really did their research and like early 80s like fabric softeners that came and went really quickly. You will spot on the shelves. I was like, they really, you know, cereals that don't exist anymore. They, they really nailed it. And they let you drink it in, in the extraordinary closing credit sequence, which is it's the best musical number of, of last year. Do you not feel like watching this film at all? It is on Netflix. Yeah. If you say, no, this is not for me. I'll tell you what is for you. Go to YouTube. The closing credits are for you. Yes. Even watch, if you don't want to see the film. Watch the LCD sound system song, New Body Rumba, as they as they appear over the closing credits of White Noise, in which there is an absolutely gorgeous use of this grocery store space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If nothing else, do check that out. Otherwise... It took them two days I bet. Uh, to shoot, uh, much longer to rehearse and choreograph. Of course. Because... There's like a hundred people yes. and everyone's doing something different. Yeah. Little groups of people are doing one thing while other groups of people are doing something else. And they're all in the same space yeah. together. Doing the camera it. is showing you like an entire supermarket. That yeah. It's like people are dancing it's, all over the place. It's, it's truly wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I would say, look, watch it because Bombach is uh, uh, one of our more interesting, you know, one of our more challenging talented filmmakers working right now. So even even a somewhat of a misstep from him is worth a look. But I do feel it's a bit of a misstep. Um, I feel like the closing credits sequence mm-hmm. is the equivalent of at the end of Life of Brian when everyone sings always look on the bright side yeah. of life because you've got a family at the center of this film who are experiencing everything good and bad that life can throw at you. Yeah. And the and the the happy ending is we're just going to keep on being this family. Let's go to the grocery store. And I find that weirdly comforting because I don't tend to find anything Noah Baumbach does comforting. <laughs> um and I enjoyed every weird, you know, arch, unrealistic moment of this. I I think it's chaotic, but it's completely entertaining. It is not just in terms of set design, in terms of everything. It is extravagantly production designed. Yeah. To a period that happened within our lifetimes. It reminded me of, sorry, the domesticity 
uh-huh. of it. Okay, not the not the not the externals. Sure, but the domesticity of it reminded me of uh, E.T. <laughs> Kind of. Uh, a little more Altman-esque, but yes, I see what you're going with. People are just talking, talking and talking, but they're very warm. Yeah. And you get the sense that this family really loves each other, even when they might be screwing everything up. It has... I don't want to say it has no plot, but it has no big plot. It has thing happens, Incidents. then thing happens, then thing happens. And, and that is the way... Life is. Life throws all kinds of wild stuff at you. It is also because of the airborne toxic event. It is also about death and about things that happen later. It is also about death regarding those things. Um, if there's a dated idea mm-hmm. here, it is the idea, that very, very 80s idea that, you know, you're just a consumer and you shop to avoid reality, you know, um, which everyone knows by now. But you can't stop buying groceries. It's like, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. I, I mean, the book tries to make the case that they're sort of like this, this, like, the humanity has evolved to a place where we speak in products, basically. Yes. Yes. They, they leave out the line where, like, you know, he hears the little girl just whispering, Toyota Corolla. Right, right. Uh, but the whole, all the grocery store stuff is so much about how the power that we imbue these totems, you know. Mm-hmm. I wish that movie Signs and Wonders were more readily available. Oh, you can't find that anymore. That one's, like, way off the map. But, like, that movie you did such a great job of using, like, corporate logos and signage yeah. in a film that's about, like, you know, the mysteries of mankind. Right, right. In a way that I think this one approaches, but is maybe not as successful. That satirical element of it, I think, is, again, somewhat dated. Yeah. But still relevant because we've all just allowed it to to crash over us like a wave and we live inside it. What, what's the line from Peanuts about Five's parents naming them after numbers? Is, is this his way of fighting back? No, it's his way of giving in. Of giving in, in right. <laughs> um, and, you know, White Noise came out at the same time. The novel came out at the same time as books such as... Less than zero, and then subsequently American Psycho, which, you know, fully different kind of writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brett Easton Ellis also went into, you know, the idea of how we interact with all the things that we own and buy. Uh, John Updike's Rabbit books yes. do this too. Yes. Know? So, anyway, getting back to the, the characters, these are not characters, I think, <clears throat> in the way that you would. N- know them from your life but they are like characters that you know from lots of movies <laughs> i see am what i you're making saying. sense i i I, okay. I see what you're saying although i it does kind of bug me that you know like i, I love greta gerwig and of course she's going to be in bomb box movie but like right. that character is defined by her uh, voluptuousness in the book, her, her zaftigness. I see. You know, and that, and and so well, they, she's here defined by her hair, I guess. which they mention a lot. It's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think I think of these characters as as walking tropes, movie characters. Yeah. From another era, like for example, the eighties. <laughs> I already mentioned E. T. Yeah. 
Um, but but the film, although it is set in the eighties, it is not, it is made now, so it gets to appropriate those characters from other films that you you can't place them. You can't sure. say, oh, that guy's like from that movie. It's just sort of like a, an amalgam of. of it's it's of like you people. hear a song and you you recognize a snatch of the melody, right. but you can't pin it to any particular so song. it appropriates them and it brackets them and it gets to it gets to comment on them in a way um but i think the comment is that we love them <laughs> and 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 they love each other and they love going to the grocery store and that is a fine subject yeah i, I like the idea that like yes going to the grocery store may not make you happy but you can be happy and go to the grocery store. <laughs> How many times have you and I done little dances? Let's, for example, say in a Target. <laughs> and during those times, how many times did I knock down an entire ma- rack of magazines and fall to the floor? Only once. <laughs> but it's unforgettable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I like it more than you, but it's easy to watch. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And if you're not convinced, just really, seriously, just watch, watch that closing credits. The closing credits are just a five, five minutes of fun. Yeah. Like, candy-colored fun. Uh, everything else that we're going to talk about in this episode is a major uh, downer. Yes. And what I mean by that is every film. We have four more films to talk about. And subject matter-wise, all of them are total bummers. It's true. Yeah. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, what was your familiarity going into this with the material? It was a book that I was assigned to read in high school. Did you? I read the Cliff's Notes, and I... So I know the story... Did you see the 30s movie? I have never seen the 30s film. Did you see the... Now I want to see the 30s film. Did you see the 70s movie with your man, Ernest Borgnine? My man, Ernest Borgnine, I have not watched that one either. Directed by Vanderbilt graduate Delbert Mann, who also directed Borgnine in uh, Marty. Well, all right. Where he won his Oscar. I... This was my first film adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. So, the story is basically, Paul is... A young German student, World War One is raging, and uh, his he has one teacher in particular who's really like <clears throat> pitching the glories of war and manhood and being a soldier and yada to all the young students, and they are of course dazzled by his rhetoric and can't wait to go kill some French people. So yeah. they, you know, his he and his closest buddies, like I think they they leave school early and they sign up. They're all thrilled to go fight for the glory of Mother Germany. And then, of course, they get there and it's a nightmare. And, you know, it's trenches and mud and cholera and dead bodies and just like awful, awful, awful. And over the course of time, we see Paul go from fresh-faced, bright-eyed, just completely naive recruit uh, to hardened soldier. Along the way, he makes friends with... Um, a Polish sergeant named Kaczynski, who he calls Kat, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, over the, we, we, you know, we come to see that, that like everything he's been told about, like how great war is, was a total lie. Yes. 
Uh, this version leaves out a lot of stuff. It leaves out the fact that Paul goes home and has this moving visit with his mother. That he goes back to the school and tells the teacher, uh, yeah, you're guess full what, of it. Guess what you were wrong about. Yeah. Yep. That stuff they leave out. They add uh, a whole subplot about the German high command traveling yep. to France to negotiate the armistice. Right. Um, and I, I know why they do it, and they there's a there's a dramatic point to it, but I frankly find it undercuts what makes All Quiet on the Western Front so effective in the first place, which is that it is this very much kind of first-person account. You follow this kid, this greenhorn, into battle. You witness the same atrocities as he does and see what how they affect him and how they change him. Um, and this version switches things around so much that they leave out the incident from the book that gives the book its title, which I find kind of bananas. That said, I think this is a pretty effective war movie as long as you're not looking for an effective adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front, I think that's where it kind of, you know, makes some mistakes. All war movies are meant to be anti-war movies. Yes. But so many of them are not. Well, you know the Truffaut line, right? That even, even films that are intended to be anti-war... The cinema just makes war so exciting that it almost Very never works. Very exciting. So historically, you know, a nation of dads, <laughs> they are pumped to watch a World War II movie where there is victory. And it doesn't matter what kind of ringer the film puts you through mm-hmm. to get to that victory moment of or glory. at least the moment where someone survives the person you want to survive sure. survives um and if they don't survive then it's you know uh, uh uh saving private ryan you know where so many people didn't survive right and you still get to have a moving coda you still get a catharsis yeah uh there's no catharsis here no It is a, it is, it is, you know, the hellishness of it all, the agony of it all, Mm -hmm. the brutality of it all. And it is simultaneously impeccable filmmaking and a brutalizing experience to watch. Well, yeah. Because the level of hideous death that you get to see in exacting detail is it's exhausting this is an exhausting film not simply because it's two and a half hours long right but because it is so it's punishing to it half is hours. so punishing and that is necessary <laughs> I want an 18-year-old to watch this film. But I'm going to be 60 next year, and I already know these things. <laughs> and, and, and if you're going to throw in the high command and contrast them in their little comfy train car versus the, the men on no man's land right. in the trenches, right. then just these, watch, 
paths of glory again. Like that's that you're never going to get better than the that. The pastries are not fresh. Exactly. <laughs> These are day old pastries. These croissant. Uh, that's actually a line of dialogue yes. from the from the from the fancy uh, high command. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out Felix Felix Kammer who plays Paul and yep. Albert. Albrecht Schuck, who plays yeah. Kaczynski, are both terrific. Uh, everyone is terrific. The performances are terrific. The filmmaking is excellent. The, 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 the net effect of what it's trying to do to you, it does to you. It's definitely a post nineteen seventeen kind of World War One movie in yeah. terms of we get those long tracking shots through the trenches and across the battlefield and stuff. I mean, they don't they don't play that one take gambit as hard as nineteen seventeen does. But you can you can sense the influence of how that movie shot this war. Yeah. Uh, so it's a horror film. Yes. And uh, it's nominated for best picture. It is. It's really well made. If you're a completist, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard recommend because it's it's not I mean, and look, it, there are very grim movies that are great and you you the grimness is part of the package, but it's what you're left with is such an astonishing work of art that you, you know, endure that part. Right. Yeah. This is a well-made anti-war movie. It is not, I don't think, aesthetically, like, dynamic. It is, and it's, it's, a, it's above competent. I mean, it's, it, it is. Oh, come on. It, it's, it, it has, a, there are a lot of flourishes. Calling it merely above competent is, I think, da- okay, damning. Okay, you're right, and, I'm, and I don't mean to. Yeah, don't do that. But it's not like, I think, you know, what it leaves you with is not as intense as other better films on the same subject. okay. I mean, that I can agree with. Um, so if you're the kind of person who loves a war movie because you love the rah, 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 um, and there's no crime in that. I mean, I, if there's a war movie on TCM, I'll just start, I'll sit down and look at it. doesn't matter what it is. You just hope that Aldo Ray is going to show up. <laughs> and start punching some people. Robert Ryan, you 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 have a, you have a, you have a certain uh, you have a mid-century type. I do have a mid-century type. It's true. Look, they never put Jack Carson in those things. No, no. Mm. He's the good humor. He's man. the good humor man. He's Mr. Mildred Pierce. Exactly. <laughs> um. Anyway, All Quiet on the Western Front is a finely made motion yes. picture, and it's just a. If you're going to watch it, just like watch it in the early afternoon so you can go have like an ice cream sundae when it's over. Without a bad idea. It's, t- it's tough. It's really tough. Uh, speaking of tough, St. Omer. Woo. Yeah. Is a uh, French film from Alice Diop. Her first narrative feature is a documentary filmmaker. Yes. Uh, it is based on a true story a real thing that happened yes she uh, attended the trial and basically Alice Diop went to the trial Alice Diop attended the trial couldn't film the trial and so like decided to make her own yes narrative feature about it now here is uh, what it's about 
a a professor and novelist named Rama, played by Kaije Kagame. Mm-hmm. She attends the trial of a woman named Laurence, played by Guslagi Malanda. Laurence is a Senegalese woman who has murdered her child. She took her 18-month-old baby, took her to a beach at night, and allowed the child to be swept away by the tide. She is on trial for that murder. She pleads not guilty, even though she confesses to having done it. And we see her at the beginning of the film walking with the baby on the beach. That's all you see. You don't see the act itself. So she says, yes, I did it, and I am not guilty, and here's why. And what Rama is wanting to do is to accumulate information for the novel that she is writing, a sort of retelling of the Medea myth. Yes. The entire film is the trial. And with occasional excursions out into the world with Rama and Laurence's mother. Yes. Who is also attending the trial. It's great. And in a different way, in its own way, just as tough to watch as All Quiet on the Western Front. It is nominated for Nothing. something. No, it was France's. It was France's submission submission to, to the Oscars. We did not Academy Awards. Get okay, nominated. so it was not nominated. All right. Uh, so, what do you think? Uh, this movie is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking about it on Max Film, and the thing that uh, Gustavo Milanda is doing in this movie, I compared to when we saw Diane Weist in. Uh, Beckett's uh, A Happy End, mm-hmm. you know, where she plays... We had a night at the theater. Yes. Yeah. Where the first act is her, you know, buried in dirt up to her waist, and the second half is her buried in dirt up to her neck. Yeah. Uh, because Guzagi Milanda is standing in the witness stand wearing a, 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 a top that kind of matches the wall behind her. Yeah. And she is not moving. No. She is she's is standing well, r- rarely moving. Rarely moving. At yeah. one point she tries to sit down and the judge tells her no she has to stand. Yeah. So like she is barely you know using her instrument in the way that you would expect an actress to do. Everything is her face. It's all the face yeah. and the voice and it is mesmerizing. It's so magnetic and so just you know for what she is called upon to do as an actress and how well she does it. Like that's add that to the list of people who should have been included in the best actress race this year. I, I know agree. people didn't see this movie and it didn't get the kind of push that other ones did. No, it was a small French language film. Exactly. So, yeah. But boy, howdy, she is just so great. And also great is Kai J. Kagame, uh-huh. who is kind of doing the same from the audience and that she is sort of sitting there taking all of this in and more and more realizing that this woman whose life she was looking at as sort of research material, she is connecting to in all these different ways. Because she is also 
pregnant. She's also pregnant, but yeah. also that just the way that she relates as the daughter of immigrants right. to the life of this woman and the specifics of her parents' expectations and how how she was treated at home, how she was treated in France, all of these things that come tying together. Alice Diop, again, herself discovered that she was pregnant while mm-hmm. attending this trial. Yeah. Um, so the movie touches on all of these things where, you know, it's, it's not like a true crime thing because... No. She says up front, yeah, I, I did I, do I it, did but it. I, I don't know why. Right. And, you know, the movie then kind of she lays out. She contradicts herself throughout the, the narrative, throughout the testimony, because she's, as a, as, a, as a human being, she is still wrestling inside herself with the enormity of yes. what she has done and how it happened. Yeah. How she could have been the person who did that. Um. Now, I try not to make everything about Brisson. No, you don't, Oprah. But The Trial of Joan of Arc, uh, his film, Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about that while I was watching this. Hmm. Um, Not to be confused with the famous silent... uh, No, no, different film. Okay. Uh, I kept thinking about it because in terms of its, you know, framing... And the construction of the court scenes, obviously in a Brisson film, he's stripping the actors down to the point where they are not acting anymore. So obviously there is acting here, but it is a kind of very controlled um, simmer. Hmm. You think of a typical American court courtroom drama, there's going to be an outburst at some right. point. There's going to be a, a speech. Al Pacino will yell. There's going to be, yeah, there's going to be something like that. And there is none of that no. here at all. Um, I think uh, Alice Diop knew that to amplify this subject matter, to make it louder, would have made it more would have made it, not more, but would have made it unbearable because mm-hmm. the subject matter is already incomprehensible. Yeah. You know, and again, analogous to Rama's idea to write a, a Medea story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of plays out. I said All Quiet was a horror film. This kind of also kind of feels like someone's staring at something that is horrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, the film itself is sort of fixing its gaze on something that is horrific and incomprehensible. She's a documentary filmmaker, so that approach, this very sort of astringent, meticulous uh, approach happens. And while she's covering all of these subjects at once, you know, culture and race and how immigrants are expected to perform in the culture where they've landed. Mm-hmm. Ideas about France's colonial history in Senegal, ideas about the 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 difficulty, the the sort of turmoil of motherhood. There's a lot of plates to spin at one time and she's doing it. Yeah. In a very very quiet way. So, if you can deal with that, uh, I this is I highly recommend this. Mm. 
Hey, phone dropper. Sorry. Was are you being comic relief no. now that we're in the, the sad, no, you know, I'm, difficult I'm, films? I'm trying to charge and have my phone handy, and it's just not All right. playing out very well. Okay, well, sorry. Hey, why don't you talk about women talking? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, also, a Best Picture nominee and uh, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Sarah Polly is working from the novel by uh, Miriam Taze, and it is also based on a real life. Incident of uh, women in a, I believe in real life it's Mennonite, they don't really state the uh, affiliation here, but women in a cloistered or, or sort of separatist religious community yeah. who discover that uh, the men of the community have been uh, drugging them and visiting sexual violence upon them in the night. Uh, and they finally uh, catch someone in the act. And so while the men are in town, like dealing with bail and the police, the women, representatives of the women, gather in a barn to discuss what their options are. And they, 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 they originally realize that their, their choices are do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. <clears throat> and what they do next, obviously, is the subject of some controversy. And so most of the film is basically these conversations of them trying to figure out what what can they genuinely expect to happen if they should decide that they want to forgive the men? Will that change anything? Uh, will that make their daughters any safer? What would life outside of the, the you know, community look like? Where would they go? How would they settle? They have not been taught to read. Um, the one man with a principal role in the movie is, is Ben Wishaw, who plays the guy who's basically transcribing it but uh you know taking the minutes of the meeting but the women who are meeting include Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Judith Ivey, Emily Mitchell uh and the great Sheila McCarthy, Michelle McLeod. It's an extraordinary ensemble and I've seen this movie twice now and both times I just find it so captivating. This sounds like it would be oatmeal. This sounds like it would be a filmed play with a bunch of people in a room, you know, talking at each other. But there is such a power to it. And because there are characters on the margin who are sort of half paying attention and doing other things, because there are cutaways to other moments. Yes. Like, Polly keeps this from being just this grinding, grim No, she doesn't thing. lock you in a room. No. Yeah. No. This is a movie that breathes. This is a movie that pauses. This is a movie that, like, has some humor to it. Mm -hmm. um, and you get to know these women and how they respond to each other and how they respond to crises around them and what they're going to, you know, in figuring out how they're going to deal with this crisis. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I think it's spectacular. I agree fully uh, with you. I don't have, you know, any, any extra praise to add to it because you just said it all. Um, what I will say is that it may... There may be folks who watch this, or maybe who don't want to watch this, because they don't care about what happens to people who are involved in fundamentalist sects, religious groups. Mm -hmm. But that's where I come from personally, myself, my yeah. own life, right? So I was involved as a young person with fundamentalist evangelicals. And anybody who isn't in a position of 
power or future power <laughs> uh, in, in that world, unless you're willing to go along with the rules that other people make for you and the abuse that they will visit upon you, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of abuse it is, you have a decision to make. Because the minute you realize that you are being treated badly, you have to decide to, in the words of one of the women at the very beginning, want less, she says. Or you have to get out. You have to get out, save your, you have to save your life yeah. and get out. Now, correct me. Did you mention at the very beginning of this that this is based on a true story? I did. Okay. Yes. Uh, so it really happened in Bolivia. Yes. And that is, you know, it's unfathomable for me. Like, what I had to leave because of different circumstances. Sure. Because of queerness. Not because I was, you know, being harmed. Physically harmed. Yeah. This is a f- story in which women of all ages and children of all ages are being subjected to violent sexual abuse. Yes. being They're being raped. And they're being drugged and told that when it has happened to them that it was that it that it was done by a demon or a ghost that is the kind of horror that only someone who is fully convinced that they deserve it could ever think to tolerate and there are women in the film who decide that they're not going to go anywhere yeah you know, uh, they're not even going to have the conversation about going anywhere. So, knowing that this isn't just, you know, a fiction, that communities like this exist everywhere, they might not all have, you know, old-timey outfits and buggies. They may just be at a mega church down the street right, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this makes it incredibly relevant for everybody involved in any kind of religious yeah. group. I mean, we're in an era where, like, you know, the the multiple crimes of the Catholic Church have been revealed over the course of years. Mm-hmm. In in more recent years, the Southern Baptist Convention has mm-hmm. come under the spotlight for the same stuff. And for as much as, you know, reactionaries out there love to scream the word groomer at... School teachers and drag queens. That's it's the church. If you look at the news, if you look and see where the actual pedophiles, the actual sexual assaults are happening, it's in the church and it's among Republican officials. Like you know, like the the guy who runs the county, whatever. Like that's that's where this is all going on. And so yeah, so this movie is super relevant. I would also, and I've mentioned it on the show before, uh, Sarah Polly's book of essays that came out last year, "Run Towards the Danger." Also has some really uh, uh, gut-wrenching stuff about uh, her experiences with uh, um, sexual assault in the entertainment industry. I highly recommend you read it. I highly recommend you see this movie. I have a problem with subject matter that I feel veers into exploitation. Mm -hmm. 
And as, again, as difficult as this is to, you know, sit down with and watch, Mm -hmm. it is not exploitation. It is not. It is absolutely uh, respectful and compassionate and compassionate for all of the women uh, in the film, all of the characters in the film. So it's now... What kind of Academy Award action are we talking about here? Best Picture, Best... Uh, it adapted, is nominated for Best Picture. Best Picture, Best okay. Adaptive Screenplay. All right. Well, you know, it deserves to be nominated. For yeah. It was on my top ten list. All right. Now, we have a time issue happening. Yes. We initially figured that we were going to have time to talk about Knock at the Cabin. Uh, but you've got to go see Ant-Man. And we have and a we, lot to talk about. And we have Knock letters that we were going to talk about, too. We don't have time to do any of that. So, yeah, Knock at the Cabin is going to take some time to go into. Yeah. And um, when we do talk about it, we will be doing it in, in, in two parts. Yes. The part where we don't spoil it and the part where we do. Because yes. to really talk about that film involves talking, talking about what happens yeah. in that film. So, um, which is fine because I have gone from one extreme opinion <laughs> uh, the day we left the theater to a whole bunch of new ideas about what I am feeling and thinking about that film. So, on Saturday, we're going to record another episode mm-hmm. because on Sunday, we're doing an extra episode with our film critic friends who yes. are always here at the beginning of each year to talk about the year before mm-hmm. and the Academy Awards and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, Saturday, when we do the next episode, we will talk about Knock at the Cabin plus some other stuff, uh, films that we will be seeing this week. But not Ant-Man, not yet. Not yet. Anyway. Letters. No, we're saving them. Oh, you, those two. You, well, do you look at the time. Okay, okay. Here's well, your hat. What's your hurry? You got to get out of the house. Okay, okay, fine. Yeah. All right. Well, um, anyway, in the meantime, please check out my other podcast, Breakfast All Day, uh, with Christy Lemire. It's a we're on YouTube, but also in podcast form. Uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, and uh, Deck the Hallmark, where I pop in on Mondays to talk about. At the moment, we're reviewing 2022 Christmas movies from. Uh, other uh, channels besides Hallmark and Lifetime. This week we discuss uh, Gabri Sidibe in VH1's All I Didn't Want for Christmas. So go give that a listen. And um, yeah, su- subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a uh, five-star review. We'll read it on the air. You can also leave us a thumbs up or stars or whatever kind of positive feedback in the many other places that we stream, including um, Spotify, CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Amazon Music, Google Play. Uh, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. You see what he's up to at blueblu.bandcamp.com. Follow us on the social media at LinoleumCast and drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye.